You are now listening to the Hot Take Podcast, brought to you by Full Time Fantasy. Here are your hosts, Stephen Taroni and Josh Daddy. Time to make it hot. Oh, hey, what's going on, everybody? Thanks for listening in to the Hot Take Fantasy Football Podcast, part of the Full-Time Fantasy Network of Podcasts, and we definitely appreciate you guys stopping by here today. I am your host, Josh Daly. You can find me at joshdaly72 on Twitter. And a little, little curveball, no co-host today, but don't worry, guys. I mean, I've been doing this for a few years now, so it's I will be just fine. Not my first rodeo, people. Uh, in fact, it's not even my first time recording with today's special guest. Uh, he's been kind enough to join me uh, during the uh, Action Network and Roto World days. Now the the big baller in charge of the, the PFF Fantasy Podcast, the fantastic rebooted version of that. He is dropping down on the rope ladder from his trusty chopper to give us some fantasy insight today. Of course, I'm referring to none other than Mr. Ian Harditz. Ian, thanks again for joining me on the hot take. How's it going, brother? Thanks for having me on, dude. Hell of an intro. But yeah, we were just talking uh, before the pod about how, you know, Saturday morning here, we got our coffee. It's actually cooler uh, day, at least here in Columbus, Ohio. Got some fall football weather coming. Almost that time of the year, man. It's exciting. Yeah, no doubt. Football weather indeed. And I, for one, am very excited. Of course, speaking of that, I, dude, I woke up today, Ian, and I had uh, three best ball mania slow drafts going and I was I hit the trifecta. I was on the clock for all three. So it was like, oh, this is, this is going to be a good day, man. So, of course, no preseason games here uh, on the docket. But man, I've been watching hard knocks. And, you know, it, it, like you said, the weather is definitely a little a little more brisk this morning. Feeling right. Have you been watching the new season at all? I made it through the first episode, haven't yet caught up in the rest of them yet. What, what's going on? You know, just with everything going on with the COVID stuff, obviously, it makes it a different season for Hard Knocks. And with them having kind of like two teams, it's almost just like you're uh, you're kind of whipping back and forth, going from one to the other, uh, which is kind of cool. I like that part of it. You know, I just I just got done watching the third episode. Now we're only three episodes in. Um, just watched that last night. But I thought it was weird. Like a lot of the previous seasons have had, you know, where there's GMs giving you like their thought process and things like that. And really all we've seen in three se- in three episodes is like 20 seconds of Tom Telesco, uh, <laughs> you know, and Anthony Lynn talking about um, when they cut one of their tight ends, how excited they were that he was pissed off and they wanted to keep him on the, uh, you know, the circulation <laughs> list to, to bring him back. But I just thought that was kind of weird. Um, you know, we usually get a lot more general manager interaction in the show but there there really hasn't been any this year so i thought it was kind of weird that's interesting yeah i remember uh you know when the falcons had it how uh dimitrov was like in every other scene it seemed like but yeah i mean i'll I'll be catching that up definitely on the list of uh things to binge here before week one yeah right on but you're right though i mean they've definitely from when they had the falcons uh you know jason light with the bucks and uh even our buddy john dorsey you know in cleveland which is kind of a, an adventure in itself, but uh, kind of swinging around, you know, with no preseason games, uh, not only does the Hard Knocks production crew have a hard time covering some actual, uh, you know, real game action, but really all we have to go by is like, ca- you know, camp reps and, you know, training camp reports and some coach speak for the most part, Ian, and always some kind of smoke screens. And 
there's always like that one team out there that kind of like all the Twitter blurbs are just like, everybody's a baller. This guy's going to the pro bowl. <laughs> this guy's, you know, this guy's going a thousand yards. And this year it seems like uh, maybe the Raiders, you know, Vic Tafer or Tafer, I don't know how you say it, but the Raiders beat uh, seems to be pretty excited this year. So I'm going to ask you kind of like, what do you think so far has been like the biggest, the biggest smoke screen or kind of like the most ridiculous report you've seen so far. I'm, I'm definitely saying that uh, I think the Jacobs 60 catches is, that was actually from his mouth, which I, I think is fantastic. I like that he wants to do that. I don't, I don't think it's realistic, especially with the re-signing of Jalen Richard and them bringing in Theo Riddick. But for me, that seems to be kind of the most far-fetched uh, camp report so far this year. What Anything stick out to you as just something that's completely a farce? Um, I think some of the stuff with uh, Gurley and what his workload could look like in Atlanta, people are still having a hard time coming around the idea that he's just not going to be this three-down workhorse. And even before we consider, okay, the guy's already reportedly been limping throughout practice and he's not looking like the same guy. I mean, the Falcons just haven't used a featured running back over the last half decade. I mean, even in Devontae Freeman's heyday, when Tevin Coleman was healthy, it was a split backfield. I mean, look, Freeman played at least 60% of the offensive snaps in just 14 of 36 games with Tevin Coleman and or Ito Smith healthy. When one of the, when they were out, he played 13 of 15 games at a 60% or higher snap rate, and he was that, you know, featured back. But, I mean, Gurley in, in uh, Los Angeles with the Rams, I mean, he was legit up there with McCaffrey having this 90% plus role you know, really uh, just getting fed all the touches he can handle. And I just don't think that's going to happen. And maybe it is a slightly better overall offense. But, you know, you, you look in this kind of tier of running backs, these, you know, Leonard Fournette, Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon a little bit, David Johnson. And, you know, more and more, it's just there's so many question marks around these guys. And I think uh, that's why fancy analysts around the industry, including myself, you know, just throughout most of this offseason, it's just do a couple – best balls or mock drafts and like you, you, there's a reason why we're kind of preaching get those rbs early because once rounds uh three four and five come around you know you still have these baller wide receivers to pick from your dj moore's terry mclaurin's uh dj chark stefan diggs usually falls like to round six i mean there's awesome wide receivers like all up and through the middle rounds but you look at running back and just after the top 15 it's a steep decline so you know we can we can hear this or that about Gurley, you know for Fournette and Le'Veon Bell haven't even had really good uh, training camp reviews, but even when you do hear one about uh, Gurley and Gordon, you know, I would just caution and expecting someone say, oh, you know, we'd like to get him at least, you know, 20 touches per game. It's like, well, let, let's look back and see exactly how often the coach has actually done that. And then if the coach speak isn't matching up with, uh, you know, what the coach has actually done on the field in the past, I'm most likely going to ignore it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Todd Gurley stuff. We were going to talk about this a little later in the episode, but that kind of is a great segue for, you know, kind of going to the depth of the Falcons backfield. I want to discuss that with you because really, I mean, it sounds like Brian Hill has been showing out from all the training camp reports I've seen. And I know there's actually some players on the roster there for the Falcons that expressed some displeasure that they brought in Gurley because they thought that Brian Hill had actually earned, you know, a, the shot at the starting gig there. Um and when you go, you take a look at last year's, you know, uh, snap share, uh, when it did come to the run plays, Brian Hill, once uh, Devontae Freeman went out, I mean, he was the guy, you know, 26% of uh, of all the offensive touches there on the run game compared to Ito Smith uh, for the season who had seven, you know, and just like as an overall 
percentage of the the touches. You know, Brian Hill uh, outshared Edo Smith eleven percent to four percent. So it's it definitely seems like Brian Hill kind of has the you know proverbial leg up, uh, if you want to say that here on this uh, discussion. Um, no pun intended towards the Todd Gurley limp, but. The uh, but I mean it seems like that's the way that the shake is shaken out. But I mean for fantasy investors, do you think there's enough value there to even take a chance on like a Brian Hill in the late rounds or an Edo Smith? I mean I just feel like with Cadre uh, Allison there, he's bound to siphon some goal line work as well. So I mean I'm not really excited about any of these prospects. What say you? No, and that's the thing we need to really just remember throughout this how few backup running backs would actually be in line for, you know, a three down role if their starter goes down. Atlanta is definitely not one of those situations. I mean, again, I think they're going to be in a committee of sorts to start the year, regardless of even if Gurley does eventually miss time. So, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion on the, uh, in fantasy Twitter in recent weeks about like the, the right handcuffs to pick up. And, uh, you know, JJ uh, Zacharias and late round QB made, made a good point about how it's, you know, if you have Zeke, on your team, like you, and it's between Tony Pollard and Latavius Murray, you should take Latavius Murray because there's not a scenario where Zeke and Pollard ball out in the same season. You know, you're raising your ceiling if you're able to kind of get Murray because then there is a scenario where him and Zeke could uh, both have awesome years. But I think the only, my only kind of issue with that is that it implies that there's, you know, 32 or at least a lot of, you know, relevant handcuffs around the league that would thrive uh, once their starter goes down. Honestly, I, I'm not sure if there's more than just about four. I see Latavius Murray backing up Kamara, Alexander Madison backing up Dalvin Cook, Tony Pollard backing up Ezekiel Elliott, and Chase Edmonds backing up Kenyon Drake. I mean, other than that, even guys like, you know, Philip Lindsay, on Johnson, Marlon Mack, Boston Scott, Duke Johnson, like all these guys, even if the starter goes down, I think we're going to see either someone else brought in or the existing backs former committee. So these guys all have really high potential. You're not getting any standalone value with these guys, unless you're like Kareem Hunt. He's pretty much the only RB2 that you can, you know, kind of confidently fire up as a flex more weeks than not. But I just think the, you know, sky high potential for them is definitely worth the cost. Yeah, no doubt. And Steve and I, you know, on the show have talked about kind of this could be the year of the handcuff, but the disturbing trend of, you know, these RBBCs when the starters go down, that's the way the league's been going, man. So it's tough. Like you said, there's really only like four that you trust and the rest of it's just kind of, I guess the the best way to put it is it's just an ambiguous backfield. But yeah, I mean, sometimes the, uh, the ambiguous situations can end up paying off in the long run. When you're dealing with guys like Hunt and you know, we talked about Murray and, and guys like this on this show that can just actually af- offer some good standalone value as well. So it's not a bad idea, maybe making an investment here in the later rounds. So, you know, you got to have some running back depth somewhere if you want to win uh, your, your uh, redraft league. So definitely uh, be on the lookout there. So, uh, Ian, it's kind of swinging it back around the league here. Um, I know we got off on a, a bit of a tangent with the uh, the Falcon situation, but that was something I wanted to cover. So I'm glad we got that out of the way. Uh, but going back to kind of some of the training camp news and notes and coach speak, there's, I want to ask you, I'm going to throw something out there that I thought was kind of, I don't know, refreshing to hear it because I just don't, I, I don't, I don't care for Adam Gase or trust him, but I do think, uh, and I hate that I'm saying this, but I think he probably has one of the most useful bits of, uh, you know, coach speak so far where he came out and said that, you know, Chris Herndon is the guy. And yeah. we, yeah, see, we know that Adam Gase, that tight end and that slot receiver, 
are going to get fed targets. You saw what happened with Ryan Griffin last year. And that was kind of the concern that I had initially at the beginning of this offseason, you know, leading up into the draft was how much is Herndon actually going to get a shot with the success of Ryan Griffin. But when Adam Gase came out and said that, you know, he is the starting receiving tight end, um, you know, that's, that's, I mean, it's probably 100% legit, Ian, and it's hard to trust Adam Gase, but in this instance, I do. You know, with that being said, is there any bit of coach speak out there that that kind of had your your radar go nuts or had your ears perk up when you heard it? Yeah, it was that one because I freaking love Chris Herndon, and Adam Gase never says anything nice about his players, seemingly, and he <laughs> went out of his way to really compliment my guy Chris Herndon, so... I think I tweeted the other week, like, you know, I would take back every mean thing I've ever said about Adam Gase if he can just get Herndon triple-digit targets. He's that good. And, you know, it was, it was just unfortunate the way things worked out last year. But Chris Herndon is still going as, like, this tight end 18 and beyond. And, you know, Gase, yeah, he clarified Herndon as a starter. He even complimented his ability to block and stay on the field as an inline tight end. I mean, every, you know, beat writer that's been at Jets camp just gushes about the types of catches uh, Herndon's been making day in and day out. But, I mean, otherwise, like, yeah, how, how much can you really say about Gase? That's going to be too complimentary. He's traded for Kalen Ballage. He just signed Dante Moncrief today. It's like <laughs> this dude trying to just find the worst players from 2019 and, you know, t- uh, turn him around. I don't get it. And then he's going to complain about the personnel come uh, week six, even though, you know, seemingly he's had – a lot to say about this, you know, ran Jamal Adams out of town seemingly. It's it's just a mess there. And it's it's what makes it so hard to really give up on Sam Darnold, which, which I'm not going to do yet because he's still so young. You know, we've seen kind of the history of players away from Gase making it happen. I mean, how much money has guys like Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers just made for these coaches around the league? I mean, since, you know, Gase was with Peyton in Denver, the guy just really hasn't done anything. And, you know, yeah, you can point to his rosters and never having a QB close to Peyton. But I just think at some point, you know, you see uh, talent went out, and that just really isn't what we're seeing uh, with the Jets. I mean, the most fraudulent end to the season run ever. I think their win total is messing around at like seven and a half still because they finished seven and nine last year. But I mean, here's week 10 on last year. They, they beat the giants, Washington and Raiders before lose before giving the Bengals their first win of the season. And they beat the dolphins, lose the Ravens, beat the Mason Rudolph led Steelers, and then beat the week 17 backup bills. Like just the worst, like six wins in eight games you'll ever see, you know, touche win is a win is a win, but Man, I, I just really, really hope the Jets can go three and thirteen this year, so we can get a you know get someone back there that's not going to consistently run the slowest paced offense in the league. Maybe you know won't piss off their fifty-two million dollar running back consistently, and hopefully, maybe Adam can even do this. But hopefully, just give my guy Chris Herndon triple-digit targets. Yeah, man, I, I definitely hope so. And I love what you said about Darnold and not giving up on him. I don't think that could be more true in dynasty leagues. I mean, I, in my opinion, I think Gase is going to be lucky to be there, but you know, still around by like Christmas time. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm sticking with him in dynasty leagues for sure. Um, you know, we we can only hope. I was one of those dudes that had Herndon on like half my redraft teams last year as that deep stash at the end of the draft. So uh, definitely disappointing, but you know, at least we got to kind of churn that roster spot earlier in the season, as opposed to kind of waiting and waiting and waiting, but you know, Hey, such as life. I mean, Hey, Gase has had plenty of control over his personnel in the past. And, you know, even though they let their old GM draft an entire draft class last year before they kicked (laughs) him to the curb, uh, and he had a falling out with Gase. I mean, we've said that before. Right? We've we've literally never seen a head coach go so far 
uh, on the heels of one fantastic QB season. So uh, it's just absolutely nuts. Um, speaking of one one season, that's one season under the belt of Mr. Damian Harris. And Ian, we didn't see anything from this guy, man. And it's 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 tough for me. I'd love to get your thoughts on Damian Harris because when we typically see rookie running backs go out there and do nothing, I mean, there is a long history of data that shows that they're not going to be successful in the league. However, you know, you and I are grinding all these training camp reports. I, I can't find anything negative about Damian Harris. We are also getting all these reports that he's been running with the ones. Uh, he's getting all the all the run with the ones very recently. I mean, is it really his time? Or I mean, there seems like there's always going to be that Bill Belichick, you know, card up his sleeve where he can always kind of. Uh, make things go awry for us us fantasy managers but I mean after after doing absolutely nothing last year is this just like part of the the master plan we're bringing this dude in totally fresh or what do you think about Damian Harris this year I think injuries were kind of playing a part in why he couldn't get on the field last year maybe just you know ineffectiveness as well but yeah you said it man just everything out of Patriots camp is how how much of a baller Harris has been day in and day out. And I mean, the most recent reports are predicting that he will be the league guy to start the season with Michelle, you know, mixing in when he needs to. And then, you know, Burkhead and James White should have their normal roles. That's just kind of the problem. And we're talking about, you know, being the kind of league guy, the three back committee. Look, that role last year was good for 15, 20 carries per game, but pretty damn opportune. I mean, perfect game script for Michelle last year. I wasn't able to make the most of it. Maybe Harris can, you know, really flip that script and, you know, having a mobile QB back there like Cam is going to help that entire running game. But the other edge of the sword is that, you know, Cam's going to be siphoning off some of those goal line touchdowns for himself, you know, in a manner that Brady wouldn't have. So uh, at his value, like absolutely take a shot on Damian Harris. I mean, it's not even a question. I think it's it's hard to find another running back at, you know, those later rounds in the draft that's, you know, more likely to see potentially 15 plus touches per game starting in week one. Unfortunately, I mean, I, I don't think we're looking at like a LeGarrette Blunt leading the league and rushing touchdowns type situation with Damian Harris because I do think Sony, as long as he stays healthy, is going to be involved to some extent. And then, like I was saying, White, Burkhead, and Cam are going to be uh, taking away plenty of stuff as well. So it's just kind of like in Baltimore with like Damon Harris's best case scenario would be kind of like what Mark Ingram did last year. And even that's asking probably a lot. I think Mark Ingram is, you know, objectively a bit better than uh, Damon Harris and that Ravens offense is likely to be better than the Patriots. But I mean, we're looking at guys got minimal pass game involvement. So he's going to need to, you know, live off of touchdowns and do his thing with his, uh, you know, 15 carries a game. But hey, that's a lot better than last year when he had what, like 10, 12 carries all season. So uh, the, yeah, Arrow's certainly pointing up for uh, Damon Harris. I was pleasantly surprised uh, looking at one of my dynasty league rosters uh, last week and seeing him on there. So I'm happy, uh, happy to cut ties with him just yet. For our hot take uh, dynasty startup that we did this off season, I took a stab on him real late. Of course, we drafted back before the NFL draft about a month beforehand. And uh, man, you should see some of the dudes I drafted before Damian Harris. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty satisfied with uh, with having him on a couple squads as well. And you, know, you mentioned Mark Ingram. Um, he, he's been a, a great goal line back. Uh, he gets a lot of action, no matter if it was Saints or last year with Baltimore. He's been getting a ton of looks, you know, over the last five years inside the five yard line. And the thing with uh, with Harris, you know, he, can he have a Mark Ingram type season? Absolutely. But the thing that Harris, I think, has holding him back is like you already mentioned, Cam Newton. He's 
arguably, in my opinion, the best goal line back in the, in the NFL over the last five years. So uh, that's definitely a threat. Whenever Sony Michelle comes back, he's been shown to get a ton of goal line carries. But with some of the ineffectiveness of Sony Michelle last year, I, I'm just definitely not excited about that. And I, I definitely think that Damian Harris is, you know, that that newer shiny toy and um, I, for one, am buying, not just because of that, <laughs> the bias towards the unknown, but I, I do think that he has the potential to bust out and, uh, you know, whether there is is or isn't, uh, you know, go linebacks there to worry about. Um, but, you know, talking about Mark Ingram, Cam Newton, uh, another another guy that gets his fair share of goal line carries. Uh, really, the only thing that's been propping up his fantasy value uh, since since he came into the league, oh, I should say, since the second season, Mr. Melvin Gordon. And Ian, the reason I wanted to talk about Gordon today is we've kind of talked about him a little bit on this show, but he's just been so efficient, man. It's really hard for me to trust him. I don't know many people that play in standard leagues nowadays, but I, I feel like Melvin Gordon is maybe one of those backs that has just appeal in a standard league or maybe best ball when he's going to punch in a couple touchdowns close. Um, but with him and Mark Ingram having such, you know, such similar goal line carries over the last five years, of course, Gordon didn't even score <laughs> when he came into the league. Uh, you know, everyone's saying in his second year, oh, he can't find the end zone or it was either, uh, you know, he's going to regress uh, and he's going to score a bunch of touchdowns. And of course, we've seen him put up, you know, a solid amount of touchdowns here over the past four seasons. Um, but it, I mean, with that really being one of the only perks to his game, the only thing I can think of is maybe that maybe Denver giving him the goal line work and it sounds like he's getting some receiving action. Uh, he's got to kind of get some of those, those receptions to make, to really make it worth his current ADP. Would you agree with that? Yeah, but I think he will get those uh, receptions. I mean, it's kind of like a misdemeanor uh, about Lindsay. I mean, he's a small guy, so we kind of assume he's a scat back, but I mean, back to back years, he's only caught 35 uh, passes. I mean, even last year with Gordon missing, Four games, he caught 42 passes. And the years before that, he was, you know, over 50 and 41, even in his second year in the league. So, yeah, I mean, Austin Eckler was a better receiver, but Gordon's always kind of been a plus receiver uh, in his own right. So the thought is, you know, going into training camp, I thought there's a chance, you know, with Pat Shermer now calling plays in Denver, maybe MG3 will actually take on the Saquon role and just take over, you know, after seeing training camp and, you know, not amazing Reports on Gordon, you know, still good stuff on Lindsay. It does sound like it'll continue to be a split backfield uh, to an extent, but it does seem like Gordon is the favorite for goal line and pass down work, like you said. So it's one of these situations where, look, I mean, throughout the league, there's almost every single backfield is a committee. I mean, aside from your Zeke's, McCaffrey's, and Saquon's of the world, I mean, almost every other place we're looking at at least uh, two backs. So, yeah, it's, you know, Gordon's value could be uh, higher if uh, Lindsay was out of the picture. But even then, I think it's a pretty, uh, uh, it's a decent enough situation for him. I have Melvin Gordon, you know, ahead of Chris Carson, ahead of Fournette, ahead of these types of guys. Yeah, I'm going to, I think there's a tear drop off between him and some of the uh, other top guys. I'm going to take James Conner, Aaron Jones, Josh Jacobs, those guys that had a Gordon eight days of the week. But uh, no, I think uh, he's not really washed or anything, man. I mean, last year he was he was uh, he held out, wasn't suspended, uh, held out, came back. October was just miserable. He was getting his legs under him. He couldn't even break off a run more than like four yards. But November on, we actually kind of saw the same guy that led the league in broken tackles between 2016 and 2018. You know, he's really a fun runner in the open field. And yeah, you know, his yards per carry has always been 
a little bit rough, but I think that's a little more uh, telling of his offensive line situation. Should be a little bit better in Denver. I'm just intrigued what this Denver team is going to kind of do because you look at the AFC West, and obviously the Chiefs should reign again, but uh, the, the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Chargers are all sitting there with a seven-and-a-half win total. And, you know, of the teams, I think the, it's going to be the Broncos or the Chargers, I think, to really emerge. Both of them have uh, some really potential top five defenses if things swing their way and you know if the Broncos can play with you know positive game script you know have their defense really take a leap up Drew Locke uh, does his thing you know as much as he can I do think Gordon could uh, surprise people and have a good year because unlike you know your David Johnson's your and your girlies and these guys that these veteran backs that switch teams I do think Gordon still probably has the most left in the tank yeah I mean that makes sense you know the thing that's kind of got me skeptical is just you know, we've seen year over year, he's hovered over that, uh, you know, 42% success rate range. And, you know, last year it was actually a little bit better, um, even though some of like the yards per carry and stuff were some of his worst. But I think part of me thinks like the change of scenery and maybe just the, the change in the offense could be, you know, potential uh, something that kind of elevates his value just a little bit. And he, he could, as long as he's getting those consistent goal line carries though, I mean, he does kind of offer a, a safer floor. It might be, might be kind of boring, but you know that's what you get from from guys like Melvin Gordon and Latavius Murray, and Mark Ingram, and things like that. But um, kind of a kind of a nice segue because we're going from talking about uh, Gordon uh, getting the goal line touches and getting the receiving work there in Denver, which I mean you, you probably you, you got to give that guy touches if you're going to sign him to that kind of contract. But another guy that's kind of going to show up, I think, here uh, is a rookie. Mr. Zach Moss, and at this point, I don't know if we should be calling this the uh, the Zach Moss rocket ship, but boy, his uh, his ADP has definitely kind of got way up there here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, it seems like everywhere I look, someone is touting Zach Moss on uh, on an article somewhere, and uh, I don't know. I don't like it, Ian. I uh, I've been I've been taking Zach Moss uh, a lot later, and I'm not I'm not used to having to having to reach up and get him so high. Uh, I bet I've been on board the rocket ship for a while. Uh, you know, just with the prospect of looking at Devin Singletary, I mean, the dude only got two carries inside the five because they just wanted to pound the football zombie Frank Gore, you know, when they got in close. And Gore absolutely was not successful at all. I think he only got two touchdowns out of like 11 or 12 carries inside the five. But uh, with with Zach Moss expected to get that work and, the, and be the receiving back, um, it, it's kind of like you mentioned in Denver. Like People would think that Lindsey's the receiving back because he's kind of like got the scat back frame, if you will. Moss is probably that guy. Uh, Graham Barfield had an awesome tweet talking about some of the yards created from yards per target and stuff like that from Zach Moss and how the only guys that are ranked better than him coming out of college have been Joe Mixon and Alvin Kamara. And uh, that definitely kind of perked my ears up quite a bit. Uh, so I'm really high on him. Now, are you are you still buying at this new escalated ADP? I, I've been reluctantly doing it, but what what are your thoughts on Zach Moss? He's not really a guy I'm going out of my way to prioritize. I mean, I, I get the receiving stats, but I don't. I mean, anytime you're taking a guy that just had you know never caught even 30 balls in the season, I do wonder if we're putting a little too much stock into uh, the college numbers. And the thing is, if he does get like all the goal line carries and all the pass down work, that's fine. But to me, it's just, it's more of a situation where I don't think Moss and now or Singletary are going to really give you all that much uh, weekly uh, ceiling potential. I mean, Singletary 
played at least 65% of the offensive snaps in every game last year. He wasn't either injured or just returning from a layoff. And yeah, he had Frank Gorst doing the early down work, but now Moss, you know, is definitely uh, at a minimum uh, more than capable of siphoning away some of the pass down work. I mean, some of the stuff from Bill's practice looks like they're trying to make use of two RB formations, getting both those guys involved. So if anything, I think they view now both Singletary and Moss as potential three down talents. And okay, if Singletary goes down, what happens? I wonder, does Moss get a featured role or does TJ Yeldon, who's still hanging around, you know, perk in and get his three down role like we saw last, not his three down role, but his third down role like we saw last year when a Singletary missed time. So I think uh, uh, the o- only problem I would have with your kind of um, talking about Moss is, you know, at the goal line, yeah, he, uh, it was Allen and Gore getting those attempts. That le- definitely, I mean, Allen and Gore had 29 rush attempts inside the 10-yard line, Singletary only had three. But, I mean, Allen's kind of the one that's been getting that ball in the end zone. I mean, lonely guys with more rushing touchdowns than Josh Allen over the past two seasons are Todd Gurley, Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, McCaffrey, Kamara, Zeke, and Melvin Gordon. I mean, 17 scores from a QB over the past two years is just absurd. The dude's got a nose for the end zone. And I think Josh Allen is truly like one of the only vultures we have in the league at this time, you know, throw Taysom Hill in there too. But look, I mean, Josh Allen, he checked down at the league low rate last year. I think it was like six of 461 pass attempts were check downs. Like the guy is going to zing it downfield. He's going to take off for himself. I mean, the Bills offense is just like the least fancy friendly situation that we could ask for, uh, for a running back. So even if Moss is, you know, rising up the depth chart, Singletary is still there. I mean, it's not going to be like Moss is going to all of a sudden be this, you know, 80% to 20% lead over Singletary. I think if anything, it's going to be 50, 50, that's probably Moss's best case. And then with Josh Allen, you know, generally not throwing those running backs and then also stealing plenty of touchdowns near the goal line. I just think, uh, you know, like we saw with Singletary last year, when, even though he was getting the snaps, he wasn't really getting the spike weeks, uh, just, you know, I think everyone needs to, you know, have our expectations in check for the ceiling of this backfield. Yeah, which it's weird, right? Because like Singletary busted off a lot of like long runs and, you know, explosive runs. But um, you you hit the nail on the head, dude. Like that's my fear is that this is end end up being like a 50-50 type share. And I guess the way like if you're sitting on the fence about it, I guess the way that like my rationale plays in is if these guys are going to be close to a 50-50, I feel like the ADP, at least a couple weeks ago, was baked in where you were having those Josh Allen goal line, you know, touchdowns being siphoned off. Um, And the difference in ADP, I feel like, is understandable. Um, But if Moss is going to be getting, I guess, the more quote unquote valuable touches, especially like in PPR, if he's going to be catching more balls, I feel like there's still maybe a, a good value there with some of the just the differential of where you have to take these guys. You know, if you're looking at getting. Singletary in the fifth, who's been sliding a bit. Um, some drafts I've seen him going like in the sixth. Used to be able to get these guys like round four and round eight. Um, now it's closer to like, you know, round six for both. So uh, definitely going to be interesting to see how that plays out for sure, man. Um, and before we get into a couple of the uh, more discussed topics of the season, uh, just kind of want to get your, your real quick take on another rookie here, Ian. Um, and that's Justin Jefferson. Uh, we've only talked about him maybe once or twice on this show so far, but Justin Jefferson and OBC Johnson kind of both going into uh, this, this season, uh, you know, Justin had a bit uh, or Jefferson had a bit of a disadvantage because of the, the whole virtual off season thing. And uh, OBC Johnson's kind of been there 
Um, you know, he's been there. He's been around, so he's familiar with the offense. Uh, of course, we know Kevin Stefanski is gone. Um, h- how much do you think that's a factor? I mean, is there going to be uh, more passing targets to go around? And and now that Stefan Diggs is gone, I mean, obviously there's the vacated targets left over from him. You know, do you think that that's going to be more of like a Jefferson in the slot taking most of those or and just kind of reg- regulating BC Johnson to his, his previous role last season? Or do you think it might be time for Johnson to, to step up potentially? I don't think we're going to see much out of BC this year in terms of being a fantasy relevant player. His biggest, you know, cons- the biggest concern we should have with him is it can he keep Jefferson, you know, out of these two wide receiver sets because this was one of, you know, the leagues. I believe they were a bottom three offense and three wide receiver formations last year. So, you know, Jefferson having that slot role is fine, but it might end up actually leading to. Uh, much fewer snaps on a game-by-game basis. So I'm not too worried about Stefanski leaving because I think last year they were more or less running Gary Kubiak's offense. Those were some of the most fancy-friendly targets in the league. I mean, there's a reason why Diggs led the league and, you know, receiving yards on targets thrown at least 20 yards downfield. The dude was a premier field stretcher, and even if he wasn't getting, you know, fed 10 targets per game, he was certainly making the most of the ones that did. But it's not like Kubiak just has consistently had this issue. I mean, Kubiak's 23 seasons as a head coach or offensive coordinator, his wide receiver one has averaged a monstrous 138 targets per season. I mean, he's had a top 24 wide receiver in 19 of 23 seasons as a head coach. And, you know, Thielen, people are trying to act like the dude's injury prone now because he was banged up last year. One, he never missed a single game from 2014 to 2018. And two, he came back healthy enough to put up like 129 yards against the Saints, another 50 yards against the 49ers in the playoffs, and he looked good doing it. So I am, you know, all in on Adam Thielen. He's been my wide receiver six throughout this entire offseason. And, you know, in the, in the beginning, I just thought, you know, the idea that Justin Jefferson was going to limit Thielen's ability to rise to the top, I mean, just – I think we need to be careful about assuming, you know, some of these rookies knocking off the incumbent starters, unless there's just a ton of, you know, positive uh, news going their way. But particularly uh, in, in this uh, funky offseason we have going on, look, I mean, people are going to get uh, hyped up in training camp till the end, of, till the end of time. It's unfortunate we don't have the preseason games to really see, you know, what the first team reps are looking like because. You know, yes, people love to say preseason football doesn't matter. And the production of it obviously doesn't matter. They don't count. They're not real games. But, you know, getting those 15, 20 snaps and seeing the kind of personnel groupings that teams would use, that was the real useful part of it. And we don't have that, unfortunately. So, you know, the fact that we do have this discussion on if Jefferson's even going to be a top two receiver when the season starts uh, mostly has me fading him. I, I thought, you know, the talents there and the situation – uh, Jefferson and Michael Pittman were the two guys I thought were kind of dark horses as rookies to lead their team in receiving scores. But, I mean, if Jefferson's hanging around with B.C. Johnson this much, I just think it's going to more or less be the Adam Thielen show. And then, I mean, Dalvin Cook's probably the next most likely guy to uh, finish up there on targets. Part of me, you mentioned the the change in offense and, you know, running Kubiak's uh, like zone run system. Now that part of me thinks that did Zimmer just like force them to run it that much last year? Because we know damn well, like that's, that was the the game plan from day one. So when you run another coordinator out of town because you're not running it enough, um, yeah, you probably probably should be running it a lot more. But uh, I like that man. I like Thielen as the wide receiver six. I've uh, I've been creeping him up my wide receiver board. It feels like every week I'm bumping him up a spot, and now he's officially in my top ten. So uh, some changes since we recorded our. Uh, top 10 wide receiver episode here on the hot take and uh, good to, good to hear that you are that, that high on him, man. That's uh 
that might be a little too spicy for some people, but I love it, dude. I love it. So moving on to real quick, I just want to ask uh, your opinion, you know, in the NFL, who, who's the best quarterback for fantasy right now behind Lamar and Mahomes and why is it Dak? <laughs> you said it, man. It's absolutely Dak. I mean, he was the QB two last season. This is one of these situations where like, okay, who are the other candidates? Kyler Murray. Uh, he's going to need to make the jump. I think he's capable, but he's not going to have like a Baker Mayfield-esque crash because his rushing floor is too high. But, I mean, assuming Kyler's going to go from, by most accounts, a below-average passer to, you know, this top-five producer just because Hopkins is there. Little big of a, a hike for me. I mean, I, look, he's my QB4. I think he'll be great, but passing Dak, not quite. Uh, Deshaun Watson, I mean, he's kind of the most similar situation to Dak, I think, because Texans and Cowboys defenses both should be fairly awful. They got, they got some talent at the line of scrimmage, but those secondaries are going to be in rough shape, expecting plenty of shootouts. And, I mean, the Cowboys, we've just seen them do it. I mean, one of 11 offenses – uh, they became last season since the 1970 merger to average at least six and a half uh, yards per play throughout an entire season. And Dak was, you know, the guy engineering that and, you know, what he's done as a runner. I mean, he actually slipped to three rushing touchdowns last year after having six in each of his first three seasons. And his touchdown passing touchdown rate really hasn't spiked yet. I mean, we see, you know, we're talking about Lamar Jackson having his touchdown regression coming up because of how good he was uh, last year. And then, you know, Mahomes kind of had the same thing happen when 2018 and 2019. I mean, when these guys have 7% or more of their scores go for, uh, you know, of their pass attempts go for touchdowns, it, it's just too good to have it happen again, pretty much. But for Dak, I mean, his touchdown rates have been five, four and a half, four point two, five again. I mean, we haven't seen that season yet where Dak could get, you know, seven, seven and a half touchdown rate and, you know, flirt with 40 touchdowns. So I do think there's potential here for, you know, a 2015 Cam Newton as season where we see Dak, you know, hit the mid thirties and passing touchdowns, maybe flirt with double digit rushing touchdowns and really just put this offense on his back. Cause he's gotten better every single year. And we've seen throughout his career, like the only times he's really struggled were in 2017 when, you know, a, a kind of washed version of Dez was his only really receiving uh, option to throw to first half of 2018 before they made the Cooper trade. Now, man, I mean, they're replacing Cobb with CeeDee Lamb's an upgrade, replacing Jarwin with, I'm sorry, replacing Witten with uh, Blake Jarwin's an upgrade. I mean, losing Travis Frederick's their only issue, and unfortunately he just wasn't really the same player in 2019 coming back from that weird disease he had to deal with. So this offense was already amazing last year. By all accounts, they're better. And Dak, yeah, man, breakout's coming. True breakout's coming. Yeah, hey, as somebody that holds a uh, Dak for MVP ticket, uh, well, a virtual ticket, um, you know, <laughs> I'm definitely, definitely excited for that possibility and uh, also excited for Blake Jarwin season. I have a ton of Blake Jarwin, especially in, I think, like all my dynasty leagues. But yeah, I'm very, very excited for that. Moving on to another quarterback who didn't have a great year last year, mostly because he was, you know, out with injury. Ian, I am... I'm one of those that's that's buying the picks the Pittsburgh bounce back. Um, uh, these guys are just too cheap, man. All these Steelers can be had for their expected uh, output. Just just way too cheap in drafts right now. Um, so, like I said, I, I'm one of those buying in on the bounce back. Are you? Oh uh, yeah, man. I mean, and yeah, if we're figuring that Rossberger is healthy, which I mean, by all accounts from training camp, he is, and it should be good. I've been uh, pretty up there on Deontay Johnson. Uh, for most of the offseason, I got my wide receiver 32. He's kind of like, other than, you know, 
Seattle and the Rams and the Falcons, some of these really, you know, confirmed top two wide receiver squads. I mean, he's he's definitely a top five, number two receiver for me. And honestly, I mean, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing if Deontay manages to kind of surpass Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, Juju had a ton of injuries last year to deal with. So I don't want to put that whole campaign on him. But, I mean, all those guys were dealing with bad quarterback play. And I think uh, by the end of the season, it was pretty clear Deontay looked like the most complete guy. And you only have to go back to 2018 to find the last time Roethlisberger enabled multiple uh, fancy wide receiver ones. So definitely on Deontay. Spending a first or second round pick on Juju just scares me a little bit. I think, you know, seeing that floor from last year, seeing reports out of camp that he just hasn't, you know, been this, you know, alpha wide receiver one, a little concerning when, you know, we are picking him right around those types of players. So I, I have him as, a, as my wide receiver 13. It's not, you know, hardly a low ranking, but I haven't really been coming away with him in too many drafts. I'm much more happy to, you know, take one of those top 15 running backs over Juju. I mean, I would take James Conner. Uh, ahead of Juju uh, in, in pretty much all fantasy drafts. Connor's been the one I've really been on all offseason because even with Rossberger out last year, I mean, Connor was the RB9 before he, uh, he uh, got hurt after uh, week eight. And yeah, you know, the guy's been dealing with injuries, but that's kind of why he's available where he is. If we could have, you know, a, a real life, you know, injury switch like we do in Madden and turn him off. I mean, James Connor with that projected workload and that offense would be a consensus top eight running back and if not top five. So it's a situation where, you know, he is pretty much the cheapest, like true bell cow workhorse back left in drafts. You know, I've been happy to scoop him up, you know, at that round three turn if, if you can get him there. So, uh, you know, the wide receivers. Yeah, man, give me. Uh, give me Deontay at cost and then James Conner. I've been scooping up all offseason. Rossberger himself is a pretty decent value where he's going. Uh, I, I would rather have someone with a little rushing floor like Gardner Minshew, though, in the in the late round range. Yeah, I like that. I also like uh, I also like Minshew's strength of schedule, too, um, you know, with how they kind of play out. Uh, they have kind of like an easy setup in the beginning, so you could get some early value on Minshew. But, yeah, you said it, man. All these, all these Steelers, people are kind of sleeping on him a little bit. And, you know, it's uh, you're right though. Though Connor's like the the last workhorse, especially now with the David Montgomery injury. Like uh, he was like the real true bell cow that was there at the back end, but now he might miss you know as many as four games with that groin issue. So uh, hopefully not. Hopefully he's only out for a couple. But but yeah, Connor just absolutely a, a great value in some drafts. I see some people are are kind of jumping him up their draft boards, and understandably so. You know, we know what Mike Tomlin likes to do, and, it, and it's ride that one back. I, uh, I'm looking forward to some of that value paying off here. Ian, before we before we get out of here and get your hot take uh, for the 2020 season, I want to go ahead and bust out the swag meter real quick uh, for a couple minutes here. And we'll go a couple rounds. This is basically like lightning round. Um, I'm going to throw a few things out at you here in general in the first round. And then we got a special uh, second round dedicated to just visors. So, um, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to go through this here. Starting off, Round one, and this is the scale I'm using here. Um, you, you know, zero, zero to five, we're going to go. Zero is no swag and absolutely no, no swag potential whatsoever. Uh, a one is going to be like some slight potential for swag. No, uh, two is going to be like moderate to mediocre swag levels. Uh, three is going to be like medium level with maybe some spike swag weeks in there. Uh, four, four is going to be like your, your high T high swag zone. And then a five, a five is just uh, completely, you know, off the charts swagged out. So, uh, we'll start round one with Gio Bernard's mustache. 
Oh my god, dude! I pulled up his Pro Football Reference page. And I was like, "What is that thing?" Yeah, what, yeah where did that come from? Oh my goodness, man! I'm gonna give it a two with some spike weeks potential. <laughs> I mean, I, I like mustaches. I don't know. I think everyone likes mustaches, but man, like, I can't really think of another, you know, just workhorse running back that's been stunning a mustache like that. But I guess you know he's staying true to the Giovanni roots. And uh, yeah, man, that was that was a wild thing to to have to go through on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. I, you know, I. You, your boy's been known to support the stash, so I'm definitely a fan of the mustaches. Uh, speaking of mustaches, uh, where, where does the Minshew montage, uh, Karate Kid montage, rank for you? God, Minshew, man, you got he. So he doesn't really rock a visor or arm sleeve, or he, he doesn't do a lot of like things aesthetically that are helping him out. But the dude's moxie and the way he carries himself is so cool. I've loved the, you know, like he's always had the flow and he has the little hairband thing he does and the sunglasses. I'm going to go four. And the only reason I won't go, like he's a five off the field with swag, but if his <laughs> like on field uniform had a, like, you know, if he, if he rocked a visor uh, and maybe put an arm sleeve on, we, we could be talking five. Cause you know, he, he gets on the plane and you know, he's rocking some hilarious sunglass outfit. So I love all that, but I feel like the only thing holding back Minshew, you know, from truly reaching his uh, top swag level is getting a little more ready to go on game day. But maybe that'll happen this year now that he's, you know, week one starter confirmed because you like if, if you're a backup walking out there you know rocking a visor like you're you, you gonna get some uh frowns from the teammates so i, I understand why he wasn't doing it as a rookie <laughs> yeah well hey who knows man I mean, he could be sitting in the uh the tattoo chair right now i mean it's kind of tricky to find a good part a tattoo parlor nowadays with the uh, whole covid situation going <laughs> on. but you never know man he uh minchie reminds me of like if you watch days and confused like He's what uh, he's what like the Randall Pink Floyd would have like grown up to be, you know. That's kind of like in my head. That's what I think about. Uh, a few more here in round one. Uh, Austin Eckler's social media game. Where's that rank on the swag meter? Dude, oh my gosh, I love Austin Eckler and his regular game is pretty swaggy too. Again, like Gardner, unfortunately he doesn't have you know the dopest uh, kind of aesthetics week to week, but. I mean, those Chargers jerseys can make – those powder blues can make anyone look swaggy. And every time Eckler scores a touchdown, he does this dope uh, air guitar celebration. That's why he's always sending those, uh, you know, guitar emojis out with all his tweets. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Eckler at that uh, four, too. I mean, he, he does a little more, you know, with the kind of elbow – some of the elbow turf tape and, you know, wrists and gloves and things like that. So uh, he does look good out there. But, you know, I can't give anyone that's not rocking a visor and or arm sleeve a five i mean that's just one of my rules and uh eckler doesn't quite have that going for him but no he's been awesome on social media and like gardner and eckler like look it's not that hard to make a small um you know peace treaty with the fantasy football world and like everyone's gonna love you because of it like these guys that come out and like speak down on fantasy football it's like come on guys i i understand like you know we, we can't have fantasy football people adding players hating on them for not doing stuff like all that bullshit there's no place for it but you know if if the players can just make you know this small you know effort to just uh not exactly talk down the fantasy community i, I think it goes a long ways towards uh getting them some more fans yeah i gotta i gotta give props to anybody that wants to uh shit on the counselor so um <laughs> I'm, I'm totally cool with that Amen to uh, that. uh all right cam newton just just cam in general man where's cam rank in your swag meter 
Cam's a five, maybe the most swaggy QB we've seen. I mean, Lamar Jackson's going to have a word to say with that. But I mean, look at Cam in these Patriots passes. Yeah, he's got the visor. He's always rocking something else. And the dude's just dancing and shimmying all over the place. So never seen a quarterback take over games physically the way Cam does. And his, he's always been, you know, a pioneer with his celebrations and the way he's, uh, you know, able to just get excitement going on the field. The dude's hair is crazy. I love everything about Cam, dude. He's the definition of a five. Yeah, I said back in March that I thought Cam would uh, team up with Belichick and McDaniels, uh, go to the Pro Bowl, and we'd just all say, yep, because, of course, that's that's going to happen. And uh, right now it's happening. So uh, I want <laughs> I want receipts on everyone out there that said this was a quarterback competition that Cam was in threat of losing. Like, come on. Oh, yeah. Uh, as someone who has zero Jared Stidham chairs, um, I can tell you, you don't have to scour through uh, any hot take episodes to, to hear any of that talk. So <laughs> save, you some, save you some time there grinding the pods. Uh, last one in round one, Ian, pineapple plant. Hey, yeah, my, my girlfriend brought a pineapple plant back home uh, the other week. and I was just shocked. I'm trying to become a plant guy. You know, it's a it's a big step, I know, but they're, they're, they're pretty cool, man. And, you know, as someone that spends far too much time you know just grinding away in the office during football season that they, they, it seems like a you know investment that I could handle and uh, take care of so uh yeah man I'm, I'm figuring out the pineapple plants if this thing is going to actually grow because uh, I tweeted out a picture of it it's like it's this little pineapple that could like fit in the palm of my hand right now so I'm, try- I'm still trying to figure out if this thing is going to grow into like a life-size pineapple or if it's even, you know, I don't know what's going on there, but I'm definitely a fan of it. I'm giving pineapple plants like a strong four and a half. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I man, it's indoor plants are tricky, bro. Like I'm a homeowner and I have like all these plants and, and my wife has all these hanging baskets and they look, they look nice and, but they're all outside. So it's like, you remember you go outside, you got to water the plants like at sundown, but Dude, we've had a couple uh, succulents and an aloe vera plant that, uh, well, I won't go on about it, but all right. <laughs> not not a, not a good success story there. All right, round two, lightning round here. This is the visor swag round. I guess Ooh. like a who, who wore it best type of, uh, of thing here. Uh, first up, Julio. Oh, my God, man. Julio just, he used to actually have the complete pack. And I, I'm giving him a five still uh, overall because – he, he is that swag. He makes those kind of disgusting Atlanta jerseys that the new ones actually look awesome still. And the visor <laughs> he's been rocking in uh, training camps. Great. He's always out there, but he used to have a uh, dreads man, like in 2011, 2012. And that was like complete, like super Saiyan version of Julio. So I almost want to like give him a four only because we've seen like a swaggier version of Julio in the past, but no, nah, I mean, that dude just still absolutely drips anywhere he goes. <laughs> no doubt drip dripping with moxie uh and then cam Akers. Ooh, cam man yeah i was looking at those uh rams running backs malcolm brown's the only one not rocking a visor and daryl henderson's hurt now so mcveigh you know balls in your court can do the right thing and let the most swaggy dude start but uh now cam Akers looks awesome man i I'm, I'm giving him a optimistic three and a half right now I, I just need to see it you know before i can really buy into it we do see you know, a lot of guys rock the visor in practice or before the game and then not go through with it. So need to be careful. I mean, unfortunately, the, the really cool, like, red and orange visors that you see a lot in uh, practice, they aren't even, like, allowed in the NFL these days. I, I think it's more of a, a safety concern when you can't see the player's eyes, like if they happen to get hurt. 
But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what he comes with uh, on game day. I'm, I'm very optimistic that uh, Akers has what it takes to, you know, be a four or five when it's all said and done. Yeah, well, he's a rookie. We can't give any rookies a five. Yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, another rookie, C.D. Lamb. He's, uh, I saw you had the, the clear one on. That's not as exciting, but uh, like you said, that's probably what we're going to get to see a lot of during the season. Dude, CeeDee Lamb might be the, you know, rookie 101 right now in this swag. I mean, you look at – we haven't gotten too many Cowboys picks. They've been one of the more secretive training camp teams with videos and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I was going through a few of them, and he's rocking the Keenan Allen baggy long sleeves. He's consistently had a visor, and he's mixing it up too. You know, one day he's got the long tights on. The next day he's got some blue socks on. And you look at the dude from Oklahoma. He had the – uh black like nasal strip i think that said like never scared or come get it or something like he was calling everyone out with his nasal strip which was <laughs> eye black which was fantastic so i'm a uh, very high expectations for cd I'm, like you said we can't give any rookies fives yet but i'm starting off cd at a at a four and i'm feeling good about it yeah yeah no that's that's understandable man i'm, I'm on the same page for sure uh we saw uh david johnson sporting one where what about david johnson i mean i know he's i know he's on the decline a bit but where's he at on the visor swag meter so david's kind of one of those guys where he was doing it and again he was rocking that really cool one in practice he's consistently kind of rocked a clear one throughout his career but not always I'm going to give David more of a three, honestly. He's, he's never really experimented too much with uh, the extra accessories. I guess he's wore a sleeve here and there, but just more basic. I, I think it might have been more of an issue with the Cardinals. I don't really like the Cardinals' uh, jersey combinations that much. So maybe, you know, in Houston, lining up to Deshaun Watson. Understandably, I think that would make someone look a little swaggier than, you know, standing next to the, the Sam Bradfords and uh, people like that of the world or, you know, Kyler Murray, which uh, – Okay, Kyler's the man, but, you know, he's also like five foot two. So I understand if David was uh, suffering from that a little bit. So I don't know, man. I, I just – David Johnson doesn't strike me as the swaggiest guy at the position. Uh, too, just too many games of him not rocking a visor, not rocking sleeves, not uh, taking over the swag meter. So I'm giving him a three for now. But he's got room to go up. All right, I got, I got two more for you. Lamar. Lamar, yeah. Lamar is going to have to be – yeah, I'll give him a five. I think we have to. It's partly how he plays. He's been rocking this really cool visor in practice. I, again, I think he'll go back to clear during games, but it's it's he has that cam factor where like not only is he unstoppable at times, he looks good doing it, but like his on the field, like you know, he's scoring a touchdown and like still strutting and doing a like a like okay, he had that touchdown at uh at Louisville where he you know went fifty yards like straight through the heart of the Florida state defense. And he like spun out and like kind of made, he, he makes like the end of the play, like go into his celebration and you have to be so athletic to do that, but he does it on the reg. So yeah, Lamar and cam. And, you know, I, I wouldn't name more like than three quarterbacks as a five, but I think those guys both deserve it. Yeah, no doubt. And last but not least, I know you saw this. I know you saw the CPAT visor. Oh my God. CPAT's always been a five man. Come on now. This guy, Best kick returner in NFL history, most efficient running back, and the guy's looking swaggy as all hell doing it. All the stops, man. He made the Patriots jerseys look good. Minnesota was fine. I mean, um, dude, I love me some CPAT. That dude is the definition of a swaggy five. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And uh, Ian, as as promised, I want to get to your hot take here in 2020. Uh, that that was that was fun. Now we got to get to the uh, the namesake of the show. You got a hot take for the 2020 season for us? 
Yeah, I go Joe Burrow to be a rookie uh, QB one. So top twelve scoring as a position. We've only seen six guys do it since twenty ten, and those, those have been Cam, RG three, Andrew Luck, Dak, Russ, and Kyler. And you look at the similarities between them. They're all week one starters, and they all average at least 25 rushing yards per game in college. And Burrow checks both those boxes. I mean, quietly, he was at 27 rushing yards per game at LSU. No one's going to confuse him with Cam or, you know, Kyler even. But he can pick up those yards, and he's in an offense that was one of the more pass-happy units in the league last year. Don't think they exactly fixed the defense. It could be a rough start. And, I mean, you know, I, I don't buy into season-long strength of schedule trends. But, you know, you do look at the first four weeks, they're a little rough. So, you know, what I've done in leagues where I am relying on Burrow is I've also taken Tyrod Taylor uh, at the very end of drafts because, you know, he'll at least be starting through September and they have a very fantasy-friendly slate there. So I think once Burrow gets a little more comfortable, gets into October, we're going to see the guy that, you know, just had maybe the single best, greatest uh, collegiate season ever. So I feel like I'm keeping expectations somewhat low just in terms of his on-field efficiency and you know I think it's more of a volume play in an offense with some talented skill position guys but I mean if Burrow is truly as good as he looked at LSU and you know some of the reports from training camp where the guys are just in awe with how accurate Burrow is on a play-by-play basis I mean this is a late round QB with legit top five potential if everything swings his way so I am fully buying Joey Burrow. This would be very pleasing if Steve was here. Steve's been waiting in like all of his drafts to take Burrow as his QB one. So I'm sure you just made his day, man. Um, hey, hell yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely going to make it move for sure. Well, Ian, again, man, really, really appreciate you stopping out and making an appearance here on the Hot Take Podcast. We appreciate your insight. Uh, you want to let everybody know what you got going on over at PFF? I know you've been absolutely just busting out the content uh with the team by team previews which i love anything else you want to mention there while we got you yeah just ch- check out my twitter at iheart it's i-h-a-r-t-i-t-z just have my top 300 go up the other day and i'll send out any articles there and you know encourage people to subscribe to uh, the pff fantasy football podcast the episodes out tuesday thursday with uh, the team previews as you mentioned uh in between and we you know we'll have game previews and all sorts of start sit stuff throughout the regular season so definitely check that out everyone and yeah thanks again for having me on josh always a good time talking ball with you yeah absolutely man i know uh steve and i definitely appreciate you stopping by and uh, on behalf of our guest ian harditz of pff i am josh daly and this has been the hot take fantasy football podcast good luck later on